0: Abraham Maslow, the creator of the hierarchy of needs, the the, the basic understanding of what human beings need to to live and survive, uh, notes that the most primal needs that we have as human beings are are things that we need to survive. Things like breathing, things like eating and drinking. Those are our, our baseline needs that every human being needs. Second to those baseline needs are secondary needs, but the most the highest need that we have uh, besides those baseline needs are things like safety and security. It's part of the human condition to long for safety, to long for security. We want to know that our surroundings are safe. We want to know that our, our future and our well-being and our loved ones are secure. It's part of the human condition to long for safety and security. That's why every night before bed, my wife and I look at each other and we say, did you make sure that the doors were locked before you came upstairs? We want safety and security. But what happens when the need, the longing for safety and security actually overpowers any other action that we might need to move forward in life? What happens when it, when it keeps us stuck, when it moves us to inaction and to where we can't move forward, we can't take the necessary risks because we're scared of, our sa- of not having that safety and that security. As you know, as followers of Jesus, we are called to trust him with that safety and security. We are, we are called to uh, reach out and bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. And that often means leaving behind that feeling of safety and security And trusting him. Using the latest brain imaging technology, uh, researchers have been able to prove that we as human beings are neurologically wired to A, overestimate the size of risks. So we think they're bigger than they really are. B, we underestimate our ability to handle them and we downplay the cost of inaction. In other words, if we stay the same, nothing bad is going to happen. We long for safety and security. Very few people in this world actually enjoy and and have fun taking risks. But as you know, we're in a series called Starting Over and starting over making changes inherently involves risk. And we're gonna continue by looking at the story of Nehemiah again today. We looked at Nehemiah's prayer last week. Today, we're gonna look at at him as he goes into action of rebuilding the walls and what he tells us is is what to prioritize when we risk a restart. He's gonna tell us what we need to focus on as we look at starting over. Let's pick up where we left off last week. We're we're gonna begin in Nehemiah chapter two, starting in verse one. It says, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You you must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? See, when we pick up in Nehemiah's diary, that's essentially what the book of Nehemiah is. It's a diary of him recording everything that happened to rebuild the walls. When we pick up in his diary, we notice that it's been four months since he prayed that prayer. Nehemiah had been waiting in silence. He had been patiently waiting for four months for God to open the door so that he could begin taking steps to rebuild the wall. But what's important to note, what Nehemiah does, as we will learn, is Nehemiah did not waste his time in that waiting. Let me set the stage for you of what just happened. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. A cupbearer to a king would would simply bring the king his glass of wine that night. And so Artaxerxes is relaxing with his queen and and maybe they've had a big dinner. We don't exactly know, but Nehemiah comes up to him and he's serving him his bottle of his favorite vintage. And I'm going to do some speculating here. And, And again, I can't prove this. This is just kind of my thought, but I find it a little ironic that as Nehemiah is serving the wine to the king, The king actually agrees to help Nehemiah rebuild the wall. How can I help? He offers. Look, I, again, I'm not saying this is the case and I can't prove it, but I think King Artaxerxes has not had knocked back a few wine spritzers before he got a little liquid courage going through his body and he agreed to help Nehemiah rebuild the walls of a conquered city that could potentially revolt against him in the future. God's used stranger ways to bring about his will and his plan. However God accomplished this, however God opened the door, uh, Nehemiah had been silent, had been waiting in the silence for four months. And this opportunity with the king presented itself and Nehemiah was ready to walk through that door. Look how he continues in the second part of verse four. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Look, we can't miss this. We can't miss what Nehemiah does as he begins to restart. Nehemiah knew exactly what he needed to rebuild the wall. He knew exactly how long it was going to take him to rebuild the wall. That four months of silence, that four months of waiting, Nehemiah actually maximized his time so that when the opportunity presented itself, he was going to be ready. He told the king exactly how long it was going to take. If you want to start over, if you want to restart, you got to prioritize a plan to move forward. That's like priority number one. You got to prioritize a plan to move forward. Nehemiah was ready. When the king asked the question, Nehemiah already had the plan ready to go. And he was able to answer, it's going to take this long. I'll be back then. Nehemiah had been waiting and he'd been formulating a plan in that waiting so that when the door opened, he could walk through. And I'm going to step on your toes here for a second, but that's okay because we need this truth today. Don't tell me you have faith. If you can't tell me your plans. Don't tell me you have faith if you can't tell me your plans. I mean, I hear all the time, well, I don't need to go to counseling. I've got faith. I don't need AA or the recovery meetings. I've got faith. I don't need to make a budget. I've got faith. God's going to take care of me. I've got faith. I don't need to do this or that. I don't need to plan because I've got faith. Famous preacher, Chuck Swindoll once said, faith is not a synonym for disorder, nor a substitute for careful planning. Look, there is a level of intelligence a level of intelligence that is required with active faith preachers used to love the old story about a man drowning in the ocean and and he prays to God God please save me and and then a boat comes along and and the boat says we're here to rescue you the captain of the boat and and he looks at the captain and he says no no worry i have faith my god will save me and they say okay and and they they drive away. And then a helicopter comes in and drops a rescue swimmer into the ocean. And, and, and the rescue swimmer says, hey, we're here to save you. And the man says, no worry, no worry. My God will save me. Go ahead, save somebody else. And again, a third time, the airplane comes and my God will save me. He refuses to be helped. And, and then the man drowns. And when he gets to heaven, he, he goes to God. And he said, God, I had faith that you would save me. Why didn't you save me? And he says, you dingus, I tried three different times to save you. Look, faith is not the absence of intelligence or common sense. Yes, faith requires guts. It requires guts, but it also requires work, planning, and just a little bit of smarts, just a little bit of common sense. And I know from experience and and seeing it in other people's lives, as well as my own, that God honors hard work and planning. And I don't want you to waste an opportunity to start over because you failed to plan, And maybe you're waiting to start over and you've been patient and you've been praying. Are you planning in this process? We've had a lot of time the last five months. Work has slowed down for a lot of people and we've spent a lot of time at home. And when we get to the other side of the coronavirus and and the quarantine, everything's gonna be different. Are you planning for that restart? Have you planned for that restart or have you wasted your time watching Tiger King and that crazy Carol Baskin? She's guilty by the way. We've had five months to plan and to be ready and trying to anticipate what might happen on the other side of this, but I hope everyone has planned so that that when the time comes, we can restart. The American soldiers in the American Revolution used to say, trust God, but keep your powder dry. Trust God, but keep your powder dry. See, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And if you fail to plan, you will fail to start over. Nehemiah had used that time of prayer and patience and waiting, and he planned to move when the door was opened. And if you're waiting on God and you're getting ready to start over, what are you planning for when your door opens? Let's fast forward a little bit through his story. He is sent by the king with authority and the funding to start this project to rebuild the wall. And once he gets to Jerusalem, he goes out and he surveys the damage of the walls. And then he goes about recruiting a team to help him. It continues in Nehemiah chapter two, verse 17. But now I said to them, he's talking to the Israelites, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how gracious the hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. But Nehemiah was never going to accomplish this task, this, this task to rebuild the wall on his own. He needed people to help him. He needed Israel to get behind him in the rebuilding process. In fact, if you keep reading in his story in Nehemiah chapter three, it's really boring because it's just a list of names of the men and women who enlisted to help him rebuild this wall. He needed other people to accomplish this task, which is priority number two in starting over. You gotta prioritize relationships that move you forward. Prioritize relationships that move you forward. See, once you have your plan You need others to hold you accountable, support you, and lift you up to take you further than you thought you could go. Shan says to us all the time, when you're isolated, you're vulnerable. And that's so true. When you're isolated, you're vulnerable. And you've probably felt this in your life. There's been countless numbers of addicts who have relapsed the past five months because their support network and their meetings were taken away from them. How many marriages have been ruined because one spouse goes to a city all alone and makes some really poor decisions when they were isolated? How many kids have taken their own lives because they were outcast and isolated and alone at school and they couldn't take care of that for themselves anymore? When you're isolated, you're vulnerable. If you wanna start over, establishing a support network is vital. We were never meant to do life alone. In the creation narrative, after God creates man, he looks around and he says, it is not good for man to be alone, and thus he creates Eve. It's etched in our hearts, it's etched in our makeup that we are supposed to be in in relationship with other people. Establishing a network is vital, but when we need each other the most, it seems like we often shrink back because we think, ah, they're not interested or I don't want to bother them or or maybe you have a comfort uh, idol and, and you just don't want to get involved in the mess of relationships. But when we do that, when we use those excuses, we go against the way we were created to live because we were created to do life together. I mean, many of our favorite stories that we love to watch and read would be really boring without people working together. Frodo would have never made it to Mordor without Sam. Luke would have never destroyed the Death Star without Han Solo. Harry would have never taken down Voldemort. That's right, I said his name, I'm not scared. He would have never taken down Voldemort without Ron and Hermione. Simba would not have survived without Timon and Pumbaa. And Batman needs Alfred. We were made for relationships, I'm always amazed at myself at how slow I am to ask for help. I come up with every excuse in the book to not ask somebody for help. Well, they're too busy. I don't want to abuse their kindness, all kinds of excuses. Y'all, when I go to a grocery store, if I can't find what I need, I will walk the store three times before I do one of two things. One, I go home and I tell my wife they didn't have it. Never works out well for me. Or two, I go to a different store to try and start the process all over again, by which point I'm just really mad and angry. I I am so slow to ask for help. But if you want to start over, you got to get past that. You got to have some humility and you got to learn to ask somebody else for help. That's why at Crosspoint, we push things like life groups and micro gatherings and serving together because that's how you grow. That's how you move forward. That's how you get to places that you can't get by yourself. Being together is healthy. That's why we say all the time here, together is better than alone. Together is better than alone because it encourages us. It equips us. It lifts us up and it allows us to move forward in ways that we never would have been able to on our own on our own. Nehemiah needed help. Nehemiah needed stone masons and craftsmen and, and people to come build this wall with him. So that's what he did. He recruited a team. He, he had a reliable support network. But as you know, in any project, you will always meet opposition. No project is complete without some opposition. And we will always face opposition as we try to start over, but we can choose how to respond to it. In fact, look what happens. Uh, This is kind of a snapshot of just one of the many oppositions that Nehemiah would face in chapter four, uh, starting in verse 12. The Jews who lived near the enemy, and the the enemy was threatening war against them, came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed area. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then... As I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You see how Nehemiah responds to this opposition. War is like at the brink, they're getting ready to come after him. And he says, don't be afraid. Instead, trust in the Lord who is great and glorious. He was ready for the opposition because he knew who his God was. He was ready for the opposition because he had learned to prioritize confidence in the God who makes a way forward. He had total trust, total confidence in God. As I said, Nehemiah would face lots of opposition. If you read his whole story, it happens time after time after time. One writer, when reflecting on the story of Nehemiah says, an unspoken job requirement of every leader is to handle criticism. And if you're not criticized, you're probably not moving forward. The same is true for us in our daily lives. When you begin to start over, when you begin to make changes, you will face criticism because what you are doing is new What you are doing is different. It's uncomfortable. And the people who have been around you your whole life will be uncomfortable with the new you because they're used to the old you and that will make them uncomfortable. People don't like different. And if you don't have the confidence that what you are doing, the, the, the restart that you're making is from God, that it is good and it is right and it is what's ultimately best for your life, then you will cave to the opposition every single time. And if Nehemiah had given up at the scent of anything bad ever happening and had no risk and no trust in God, the project would have been over before it started. But what he does, this confidence that he takes in God requires some intense mental toughness and a whole lot of confidence and trust that God will see him through it. At the end of the day, even though Nehemiah was risking a lot, he believed, he held on to the truth that God would make a way forward. Uh, in their book, 10 Steps for Church Growth, Donald McGavran and Will Arne uh, said new life and growth are most likely to be experienced when someone is willing to risk and move from the known to the unknown. Such a move, however, is threatening. Not all are willing to assume risk. Such fear of failure has laid to rest many attainable goals and buried many magnificent visions. Dr. Arne then relates an experience where some uh, teens he was filming encouraged him to try the trapeze they had been using for the film. And after finally working up the courage, he climbed to the tiny perch, he took the bar, and he swung out into the air. And he wrote, flying through the air, I made three important discoveries. First, you can't hold on to one bar while grasping for the other. You must let both hands go and leap. Second, it's frightening and threatening to let go of your security. And third, you don't have forever to make up your mind. Look, when you start over, you will face all three of those discoveries. You can't hold on to your past life as you, as you are looking to change and start over. You can't hold on to this life that's behind you. That's what we talked about with Moses And at the same time, as you let go of this life that's behind you, you are leaving what's comfortable. You are leaving what's known. You are leaving behind everything that has given you security and life. You have to leave that behind. And at the same time, uh, as you do, you don't have forever to make that decision to let go and hold on to what's in your future. Those are hard. Those are hard things to come over, but when you start over, you have to prioritize that confidence in God that letting go is worth it and that he will catch you on the other side. And you have to have the mental stamina and the emotional strength to start over. It takes a lot to get to that point. You have to be assured that what you are doing is right, good, and what God has called you to And when you can develop that kind of confidence by going deep in your faith, when you can develop that kind of confidence in God and you pair it with a plan and you pair it with relationships, your life will begin to change and you will have success in starting over. By the way, Nehemiah built the wall in 52 days. He completed his task in 52 days, only with confidence in God, only with God's help could something like that have ever happened. Happened. And if you're watching today, wondering if you can have that kind of confidence, please hear me when I say you can. You can have that kind of confidence in God. In fact, scripture tells us it says, approach God's throne of grace with timidity. No, no, no. Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, if you want to start over with God, Jesus has made the way. He's made it possible to approach God with confidence. And when you approach him with confidence, you can receive the grace that none of us deserve, but that everyone is promised. And it's my prayer today that as you start over, you would place your confidence in Jesus who made a way to God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, uh, starting over is hard and it takes a lot of uh, planning. It takes other people and it takes confidence in you, God. And so I pray that you would just overwhelm our spirit, overwhelm our hearts and our minds uh, that you are with us and that you have a plan for us and that, that you want us to move forward, that, that you love us too much to leave us where we are, but that you've called each of us to change, to become more like you. And so Father, I, fa- I ask that you would just uh, overwhelm our spirit with that truth, that we could have confidence in you, that when we call on you, we will be saved. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for the many blessings that you've given us. And it's in uh, your precious name that we pray, amen.